Thanks for checking out this week's sermon from Bonavista Baptist Church. We invite, encourage, and equip you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of Luke contains stories about Jesus that you won't find in any of the other Gospels. And his unique perspective just gives us insight into the life and ministry of Jesus. Right from the beginning, Luke changes course. Both Matthew and Luke contain genealogies of Jesus. Matthew, though, goes back to David and then Abraham because Matthew wants to show us Jesus as the king, as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of the covenant and of the prophecies. But Luke has a different agenda. Luke goes back in his genealogy right back to Adam because Luke wants to show us Jesus as the savior of the whole world. In fact, one of the things I love about Luke's gospel is he has so many stories of outsiders. He has a lot of stories about women. He has stories about the sinners. He has stories about Gentiles who have faith. He has stories from the margins. Maybe that's because Luke is also something of an outsider. Luke is a Greek. He's not a Jew. He's well-educated. He was a companion of the Apostle Paul. He was known as a physician. And so Luke brings all of that background into his writing inspired by the Holy Spirit. There are at least 16 parables of Jesus that are unique to Luke's gospel that you won't find in any of the other gospels. So over the next few weeks, I want to invite you to explore with me some of those very special parables that we only find in Luke. One of the things I want to say just as we start this exploration is that parables play a very unique and powerful role in the teaching of Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I was uh, sometimes told that a parable was an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And there's some truth to that. Jesus took ordinary objects, ordinary things that would be familiar in culture, and he gave them special meaning. But it's so much more than that. In, in fact, Jesus one time said that he told parables so that seeing they wouldn't see and hearing they wouldn't hear, it was almost to confuse the crowds. So parables play a very different role than just being a Bible illustration. Parables have a certain power to them. I love the way that Eugene Peterson talks about parables. He talks about parables as telling it slant, telling it from an angle. Uh, if you imagine with me for a moment, ancient armor, ancient armor that might have been made of leather and metal, overlapped and overlaid, it was designed to take a blow directly from the front. But if a blow came in from the side, it could get between the layers and penetrate the defenses. And Eugene Peterson suggests that parables are kind of like that. They get past our defenses. And so whenever you read a parable, always ask, how is Jesus wanting to get past our defenses? And that will give us a key to the parable. So I sometimes call parables weaponized storytelling because Jesus uses them to go on the offensive. Jesus really uses parables to speak truth to power. He uses parables to expose hypocrisy 
to show um, religious control, to, to reveal legalism, and, and to speak to injustice. That's how he uses parables. He also uses parables to elevate the role of women, to secure a place for the marginalized. And he also uses parables to highlight the faith of outsiders. So parables in the hands of Jesus are a powerful, powerful tool, and we want to tap into that together. So through all of this, as we explore the parables in Luke, we will see that Jesus is not just the Savior of a small group of people, but Jesus is meant to be the Savior of all humanity. So the parable that we read today, the parable of the two debtors, was told during the context of a meal that Jesus had with a Pharisee by the name of Simon. Simon invited Jesus to come over and have a meal with him. I'm not sure that Simon was really interested in Jesus. I think Simon was more of a a celebrity collector. He wanted to have Jesus in his house to kind of gain notoriety in uh, in the public and in the community. So as the story unfolds and as Jesus begins to have the meal, one of the things we notice are a number of completely inappropriate actions that take place over the course of this meal. Uh, Let's start with Simon. Simon behaved badly toward Jesus. And we might not pick up on this at first, but as the story unfolds, we realize that Simon behaved in inappropriate ways toward Jesus. If you were uh, a host and inviting people over in the Middle East in that time and, and even today, Uh, There were certain protocols, certain rules that you always, always followed when you welcomed someone into your home. During the time of Jesus, there were at least three things that a good host was supposed to do. Supposed to give you a kiss, and the host was supposed to wash your feet or provide for that, and maybe anoint your head with a bit of scented oil. They didn't uh, have a lot of deodorants back in that time. So all of this was to make the traveler, to make the guest feel welcome in your home. Well, Simon doesn't do any of that with Jesus. And at first, we might be tempted to think, well, it was just an oversight. But no, this was very intentional. Simon snubbed Jesus. Simon deliberately offends Jesus. In fact, he he sets Jesus up for social shame. That's what this Pharisee named Simon was doing with Jesus. Well, what about the woman? The woman in the story is very, very important. And again, it fits with Luke's theme of highlighting the outsider. The woman in the story also behaves inappropriately, according to the social constructs of the time. The dinner that Jesus had with Simon was probably in a kind of a courtyard setting. Uh, People could come from the community Uh, The men would often gather for a meal at night, and as they gathered for a meal, they would have theological conversations. But people from the community could come into the courtyard and kind of listen into the conversation. Simon was aware of that. Jesus was aware of that. And other people would have been gathered around, listening and watching this meal take place. So this woman was there, and that was okay at that point. But at some point she decided to break protocol and enter right into the mealtime, which is really, really incredible. 
I think that she just could no longer watch the public humiliation of Jesus that Simon was doing. And so she inserted herself right into the story. And with incredible love and incredible courage, she does for Jesus what Simon failed to do. That's the point of the story. She's the hero, the hero of the story, this woman, this sinner from the community that no one else would have regarded, but Jesus does. She honors Jesus just as Simon was trying to shame Jesus. Imagine with me for a moment the scene. Imagine sitting down for a meal, and suddenly a a woman comes up and just starts weeping, weeping so much and creating so many tears that she can actually wash someone's feet. I think the whole meal would be spoiled at that point. The meal would stop. How could you continue with someone weeping and sobbing that much? But then she does something that Simon failed to do, and she takes the perfume which she might have worn around her neck, and she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever tried to have a a meal with a heavily scented candle nearby, if you have a sense of smell, or if someone's wearing really strong perfume. Everything you put in your mouth at that point just tastes like that perfume. So when that woman poured out that perfume, the whole room would have smelled it. And at that point, the meal would have definitely stopped. That's the scene. That's the tension. That's the interruption that this woman brings. William Barclay says this, The fact that this woman loosed her long hair in public showed how she had forgotten everyone in the room except for Jesus. It's at this point in the story that Simon the Pharisee shows his true colors. He clearly believes that Jesus is a fraud. But he also views himself as being morally superior to the woman who comes to wash the feet of Jesus. And so Jesus resorts to telling a weaponized story, a parable, in order to get past Simon's defenses to reveal his hypocrisy. He tells the story about two men that owed money. One, one man owed the equivalent of about a month and a half wages. The other man owed the equivalent of a year and a half's worth of wages. But in the story, both men, incredibly, are forgiven of their debt. And so when Jesus asks the question to Simon, what he's doing is he's putting Simon right in the corner. There's only one good answer to this, and Simon is forced to give it. So what's the point of all this as we reflect on it together? Well, here's the point. Simon was not aware of his own need, and so he felt no love, and therefore he received no forgiveness. Simon's impression of himself was that he was better than most people. He was especially better than this woman. You know, as I reflect on this story, I'm so impressed with Jesus, as I am every time I turn to Luke's gospel. When this woman comes and starts washing uh, the feet of Jesus with her hair, Jesus doesn't even flinch. I know for myself and people who know me well, I hate to have my feet touched by anyone. My wife says, oh, you should go and get a pedicure. You'd enjoy it. I would not. 
I don't like it. It's, it's a very vulnerable thing to have someone do something to your feet. Well, especially vulnerable in the time of Jesus, where women are not supposed to approach men and touch them in public and especially to wash their feet like that. It was completely inappropriate. And yet Jesus welcomes it as a gift. He doesn't even flinch. But it's even more than that. In this crowd of of want-to-be intellectuals and, and leaders and power holders, religious officials, Jesus elevates the status of this sinful woman to be the prime example of courage and love. In fact, later on, Jesus follows the example of that woman when he washes the feet of his own disciples. You know, I like to think that if I was at that dinner party, that I would behave like that woman. That if I was in the crowd, I wouldn't tolerate what Simon was doing to Jesus. I would, I would at least speak up. I would say something. I would, I would stop the dinner. But if I'm honest with myself, quite often I'm like Simon the Pharisee. I'm, I'm self-assured in, in my own righteousness. I feel that I'm, I'm self-made that I'm self-sufficient. And sometimes I even feel that I'm better than others. We often do that, don't we? Uh, We sometimes secretly like to see other people fail because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Well, that robs us from the opportunity to experience forgiveness and to experience God's love and God's grace and God's power. If we don't first recognize our own need of that, then we don't open our lives to receive all that God has to offer. Remember that both men in the story, in the parable, were forgiven of their debt. And forgiveness is available for all people. We just need to realize our need of it. William Barclay, again, he says this, the one thing that shuts a person off from God is self-sufficiency. As we've been going through this pandemic time together, I think there's been a kind of humbling of society a little bit in certain areas where we've realized that our systems aren't quite as self-sufficient as we'd like them to be, that we're not as self-sufficient as we'd like ourselves to be, that we're actually quite dependent, and our whole system is actually quite fragile in many ways. I think actually this is a good thing. This kind of forced humility or forced realization that we're not self-sufficient is what might actually open us up to receive the grace, the goodness, and the love of God. And so my prayer as we reflect on this parable together is that we would lay aside any sense of moral superiority, that we'd stop pointing the finger at, at our favorite sins that we see in other people, and that we'd recognize who we are take our rightful place as sinners like all the rest and so receive God's forgiveness, his mercy, so that we can respond in love. I just want to say that if you've never experienced God's forgiveness or his grace, I would love to have a chat with you and you can email me or call me, respond to this video message in any way you want and we'll set up a chance that we can walk you through that together. Thanks.